Not only should Walters be your spot before and after every Nats game, but also Walters is an avenue for cheaper Nats tickets. When buying tickets to Nationals Park through the rest of the season, enter promo code WALTERS for 30% off. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Starts the windup, 2 old delivery, swung on, hit deep to left, down the line, toward the corner, and it is gone! Goodbye! Back-to-back home runs come three pitches apart, and Joey Manessis is homered for the third time in two days. Garcia leading from first, held by Lowe. The kick of the pitch, swinging a ball hit well to center field. This sends Tavares back to the warning track, he's at the fence, he leaps, and it's gone! Goodbye! Zoom goes Alex Cole, his second home run since returning from AAA. The 1-1. Swing a line drive to right over the leaping first baseman, low and a base hit. Garcia slides and then kicks the ball away into the corner. Garcia racing for second, he's going to go for third. Garcia recovers, throws it into semi, and his relay to third is high. And this one's going to hit the netting. Garcia's going to try to score. Jankowski, the left fielder's throw to the plate, is too late. And it's a Little League home run for Luis Garcia. He circles the bases and makes it 8 to nothing. And welcome to Nats Chat for Sunday, July 9th, 2023. Yes, we have arrived at July 9th, which is day one of the 2023 MLB Draft, in which the Nats have the number two overall pick, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi Podcast. Sunday night, a big night for the Nats. Saturday ended up being a good day for the Nats, an 8-3 win over the American League West leading Texas Rangers at Nationals Park on Saturday in a game that, yes, did have a rain delay, one hour and 17 minutes, but the Nats won. They scored all eight of their runs over the first three innings, and that was basically the game. The Nats did their work prior to the rain delay, and then were good to go. Just the Nats' second win over the team's last 17 home games. The Nats now are 35 
and 54. Saturday, a hot and humid day in Washington, D.C. Bulls were flying at Nats Park. The Nats and Rangers combined for five home runs, but Mark, it was the Nats who out-homered the uh, oh-so-potent Rangers 3-2. We have Joey Manessis, who all of a sudden has found his power stroke. We had the returning Jamer Candelario homering, and we had the unstoppable force that is Alex Call homering quite the uh, home run hitting triumvirate for the Nats in this game on Saturday. We were living through bizarro world in this one now. I mean, out homering one of the best power hitting teams in baseball, getting it from those guys that you mentioned. Joey Manessis, all of a sudden, he goes two months without hitting a single ball over the fence. Then he hits three in the span of 24 hours. Hey, good for all them. I mean, they needed this. They needed a game like this, not just a win, but a win in the way that they won this game early offense, lots of power, and a chance for everybody just to breathe a little bit. They never completely had this in hand, but it felt pretty good all along. And at the end of another long, hot, muggy, rainy day, it was nice for them to actually be able to celebrate a win for the first time in a while at this ballpark. Yeah, no doubt. So this win snapped a five-game losing streak. The Nats during that five-game losing streak totaled 14 runs. The Nats in this game on Saturday scored eight runs. So Great to see that. If you're a Nats fan, you certainly earned the right to have a game like this where the Nats hit, and the Nats ended up winning rather comfortably. So the Nats offense in this game was good. I mean, we have not said that often lately. We certainly can say that about this game. Eight runs, 12 hits, uh, just the one walk. It's funny, the Nats only went two for four with runners in scoring position, but as we have said so many times, when you hit homers, like so many of these other things just don't really matter that much. And the Nats sure hit home runs in this game. And, you know, we could start with any of the three guys who homered in this game, but I do think the Joey Manessis thing really stands out. He comes into this series having hit two home runs the entire season. He now, over the first three games of this series, has hit three home runs. Baseball is so funny the way that it can work. He had the two solo homers in the 7-2 loss to the Rangers on Friday night. And Manessis in this game on Saturday, as an at starting first baseman, by the way, and cleanup batter, two for four with a solo homer and an RBI double. Manessis in a Nationals four-run first inning, a solo homer to left to put the Nats up for nothing. And then Manessis in a three-run second inning for the Nats, a two-out RBI double to left field on a one-two pitch for a 7-0 Nats lead. So Manessis over these first two games, three homers and the RBI double. This is what we have been so wanting to see, and uh, it is very nice to see. And the double was pulled to left field as well. So, I mean, all of those are good signs. You know, they'd been saying for a while, they felt like it was a small little thing that his timing was just a little bit off if he could get his balance a little better, hit the ball out in front a little bit more instead of letting it travel deeper in the strike zone that this could happen, and you've seen it. Now, it's way too early to say that this is solved and he's going to become a power-hitting threat the rest of the season, but he did say when I asked him about this that there is a little different feel in the contact, and once you get that feeling, you kind of have it stick with you. So if he can pick the right pitches and keep that timing where it is, I think it is possible that he can go on a little bit of a power hitting spree here. We've seen other guys do it. It's not that uncommon for a player to get hot and stay hot like that. It would be great for the Nats. You hope that the all-star break doesn't ruin everything because they play Sunday and then they're going to have four days off and who knows what happens when you come back from that. But boy, has that been nice to see. It's a relief for everybody, not least of which is Joey Manessis himself. He's been wearing this hard on himself. He's put a lot of pressure 
on himself. It's not his fault that this lineup was built around him. It never should have been that way given his lack of experience, but it is that way. And he knew all along that they needed him not just to drive in runs, but to hit for some power. And so he's had to take on that responsibility. He's tried to handle it the best that he could. It's been nice to see him rewarded for it here the last two days. The conditions outside these last few days certainly have been ripe for hitting home runs. I mean, this is your classic sweltering Washington, D.C. heat that we've had. And, you know, you think about Manessis in this season, like, yeah, we are well into the season. We're well past the numerical midpoint at this point, but there's still enough season to where he could end up having a good season. Like his numbers for this season could end up being all right, maybe even good, maybe even really good if he has a big post all-star break portion of the season. Maybe he's just an August and September guy. You know, maybe he's Mr. August and Mr. September, and we just need to wait until those final two months for Manessis to get going. But yeah, very nice to see him doing well. Happy for him and a really good job over these first two games of the series. Jamer Candelario. So he had missed game one of this series due to that hurt right knee that he suffered on the hit by pitch in the uh, 5-4-10 inning loss to the Cincinnati Reds at Nationals Park this past Thursday. He, for this game on Saturday, was an ad starting designated hitter and number three batter. And he homered. He went one for four with a three-run homer. He did strike out twice, but Candelario in that four-run first inning, a three-run opposite field home run to right center field for a 3 nothing Nats lead despite having been down in the count at one point. One, two. That really was a tone setter because we're not used to seeing that, right? Nats have a couple of guys on base and they homer, right? Like how often has that happened this season? He comes through with that big home run. I mean, you know, this wasn't, Kirk Gibson in game one of the 88 World Series. But I think there's something to be said for a guy coming off an injured lower body, let's say, and he can't really run that well. And he homers like that. I mean, that was great to see. Yeah, look, he was limited to DH duties in this game. He was not going to play third base. So he's not 100% healthy. And um, while he said he could hit, you did in the back of your mind say, well, are you okay to run the bases as well? The best way not to have to worry about running the bases is to hit a home run and take as much time as you need going around him. So good for him for that. He drove a change up to the opposite field. That's a nice sign for him to do that. But Abrams and Thomas setting the table, one, two, both singling, setting the tone to bring the big guys up. And I think that was just as significant. And then, of course, when you convert on it, that's everything. It doesn't matter if you only score one or don't even score in that inning. I think Jamer felt bad that he had to miss a game. I know you and Tim talked about the other day, like, why not just let him have the weekend off? He's a trade chip, your biggest one. Why risk anything here? Jamer Candelaro is not thinking like that. He wants to play. He wants to do what he can to contribute and help his team. He's not really worried about where he's going to be playing on August 2nd. So it was tough for him to watch Friday's game from the sideline. He wanted to get back in there. Even though he wasn't 100%, he said he could DH and he delivered for them in a big way. I want to say this, too, about Jamer Candelario, and I said this on the episode that followed the announcements of the uh, All-Star selections there this past Sunday. But, you know, going into games on Saturday, Candelario still was number one among all National League third basemen in Fangraph's war for this season and was number two in the baseball reference version of war for National League third basemen this season. I mean, if that's not an all-star, what exactly is when in the two most prominent versions of, you know, what I think is the most telling stat, certainly for position players, this guy's number one or number two at his position in his league. I know, you know, getting outraged over all-star selections is kind of a passe thing at this point. And, you know, I'm not like livid over this, but I mean, it is kind of outrageous. Like as baseball outrages go, 
This guy's having a really good season in comparison to others at his position in his league. The All-Star game is designed to honor people like this, and how his team is doing really shouldn't factor into this, and yet he's not on the All-Star team. That doesn't seem right. Well, here's the problem with it, and it's a flaw in the system, and I'm not sure how many fans out there understand this. So fans, of course, vote for the starters, and then the players vote for most of the backups, not all of them, but they rank their top players at each position, and the top couple at each position get selected if they haven't already been voted in by fans. And it's only after all that, whatever spots remaining, whatever teams are not represented yet, the commissioner's office fills out the last spots. So I will just say that I've been in the clubhouse before when players are filling out these ballots that they're given. Some of them take it very seriously. Some of them are maybe not as attuned to who leads the National League third baseman in F war and B war. Al, as much as you want to believe that to be true, that's not always the case. And so very often it goes like this. Hey, who's having a good year at third base? Somebody yells out a name. Oh yeah, him. All right. And they scribble down his name. So I'm not saying players don't deserve the right to have a say in which among their contemporaries are selected for all-star games. But I will say that the process has its flaws. And it's why I laugh every time when we get to the end of the season and fans love to complain about the awards that media vote for, MVP, Cy Young, and then ultimately Hall of Fame, and say the writers don't have a clue what they're doing. Well, I will just say 95% of the writers I've ever known have put way more thought and effort into these things with less bias than the players or the coaches who select things like the gold glove and the silver slugger. These are not perfect systems when you invite the various different groups to participate in them. No, I mean, they're highly flawed systems. And the All-Star game is an exhibition game. It's a showcase for the sport. And so you really just can't take the selections that seriously. I think you just have fun with them. You have fun with the game. And, you know, it's a lighthearted scenario. But, you know, it is true that, like, All-Star selections factor into money, right? Guys get All-Star bonuses. There are people, and I think this is wrong, but there are people who will build Hall of Fame cases and use all-star selections. I think that's like the last thing you should do, but there are people who do that. And, you know, in theory, you'd like for the currency of an all-star selection to have meaning, to have value. I think it's a shame that that really has lost meaning and lost value. And this is true in a lot of sports. I mean, you know, making the Pro Bowl in the NFL doesn't mean close to what it used to mean decades ago. And yeah, I will agree with you. Look, fans do not do a great job of voting, but players are almost as bad, maybe in some ways worse, because you would say to yourself, like, they should know better, and they either don't or they don't care. And there are some who take it seriously, like you said, but there clearly are many who don't. And you know what? It's not their job to do comparative analysis and figure out, like, who's good and who's not. Like, that's not what a player is there to do. So, yeah, I'd like to see the media have more of a say-so, but such is the case. Anyway, Candelario homered in this game on Saturday. Really good to see and Alex Call, I don't know what happened to him at AAA Rochester. You know, if you look at his numbers at Rochester during his brief time down there, it's not like he killed it. He was all right, but he certainly wasn't special. But he's doing a nice job since getting back that spot as the Nats' number one center fielder with Victor Robles out. So Call in this game on Saturday, two for four, two-run homer and a single. Did get caught in an attempt to steal a second base. But Call in that Nats, three-run second, a two-run homer to center field for a 6 nothing. Nats lead. The homer went off the glove of the Rangers center fielder, Leody Tavares. But this was another 400-plus foot home run by Alex Cole. His other one the other day was, this was 404 feet for Stadcast. And then Cole, bottom of the six, a leadoff single to left 
did then get caught in an attempt to steal a second base on a strike him out, throw him out, double play to end the inning. But look, off what we saw with Derek Hill and what we saw from Alex Cole in his first stint at the major league level this season, to be getting any kind of offense from center field is a bonus. And Cole has been actually quite good offensively since being brought back up. Motivation is an amazing thing, Al, when you get a second chance and you didn't know for sure if you were going to get one or how soon it would come. And you say to yourself, okay, I've got to make the most of this one now. Now, it can backfire on you if you put too much pressure on yourself and you try too hard to make things happen. And I'm sure that was going through the back of his mind when he got called up the other day. But he has done a great job here so far, both in the field and at the plate. And, you know, the bar is pretty low right now for what they need offensively from center field with Victor Robles out. It's been nice to see him contribute in a lot of different ways. The power is one thing, but he's doing it in other ways. Good at bats, good defense again. That's nice to see. It's three games. We'll see how long this goes on. But I think this is a guy who got a second lease on life, and he is determined to try to make the most of it. Doing a good job. C.J. Abrams, once again, was the Nats' leadoff batter. Second consecutive game that this was the case. And for a second consecutive game, he got on base multiple times. Uh, Abrams in this game on Saturday, two for four with two leadoff singles and a stolen base. in the four-run first had a leadoff single to right center on an 0-2 pitch. Bottom of the fourth, a leadoff opposite field single through the left side of the infield. And he had a steal of second base. You know, we talked about this uh, with Tim on the last installment of the show. We've danced this dance before of, okay, now this guy's our leadoff guy. And then like five minutes later, the plug gets pulled. We saw that with Victor Robles a few years ago. I don't know how committed the Nats are to CJ Abrams in the leadoff spot. I would like to see them stick with this though and see this thing through. He has been better lately. It's a small sample size, but look, this offense is searching, you know, for any kind of juice here. Maybe you're getting something from Abrams. But he does look better lately, and he's two for two in terms of being a leadoff batter. He's gotten on base in a nice way over these first two games. And stolen the base in each game as well. The sense I got from Davey Martinez is he wants this to be this way for the rest of the season. Now, it's up to CJ to actually maintain a level of production that is worthy of it. So if he goes through a lengthy slump, that could be the end of it. But I don't think this is a you know, a case of one bad week and that's the end of it. They pull the plug. I think they're going to give him a good, long, extended look at it. They understand his importance to them in the long run. If C.J. Abrams becomes the kind of player that they believe he can become, it's probably as a leadoff hitter in the long run. That's probably where his skills are going to best translate. Now, to do that, he's got to be able to be patient at the plate, work counts, draw some walks, get on base at a nice clip. He has done that, not just in these two games. He did it for about 15 games prior to this move, which is part of the reason that Davey made the move when he did. He also, I think, might have done it sooner, but he knew Lane Thomas was going so well, didn't want to mess around with that, certainly while he was competing for an all-star berth, didn't want to screw around with that. But I think they finally got to a point that he said, okay, Abrams has done this now for several weeks. I don't think it's going to negatively affect Lane Thomas. Let's go for this and let's stick with it. We'll see if it makes the rest of the year or not, but I like the approach. It's not just the production, it's the approach. Working counts, seems to mostly be laying off pitches out of the zone, good base running, and I think better defense also the last couple of games. I think he's had a little more energy in the field. I don't know if the two are connected or not, but I wouldn't be surprised if a guy gets a little boost of energy and confidence from his manager saying, hey, you're going to be our leadoff hitter now. That's got to affect a young player like C.J. Abrams, I think. 
Yeah, it's got to feel good. I mean, it's not been an uplifting season for C.J. Abrams. Let's just be honest about it. Like, this season has not gone the way I think anyone would have wanted it to go for Abrams. So for him to be on a nice run here and get this vote of confidence from the manager in a public way, being bumped up to the number one spot, certainly can't hurt Abrams' confidence. If you are worried about, well, Lane Thomas no longer the regular number one guy, what is that going to do to him? Did go 0 for 4 on Friday night, but Thomas in this game on Saturday, 2 for 4. He had uh, two first pitch singles, a stolen base, and did strike out twice. But he in the four run first had a first pitch single to left, and in the three run second, a one out first pitch single through the left side of the infield and a steal of second base. A lot of guys got in on the act on Saturday. How about Luis Garcia in this game? So Luis Garcia with Abrams being bumped up has been bumped down. Luis has been the Nats starting second baseman and number eight batter now in each of these last two games off, of course, having been the Nats regular number two batter. But Garcia in this game on Saturday, two for three with a triple, a single, and a walk. And he made a really nice defensive play. So Garcia in that three-run second had a leadoff walk. Garcia in an ads one-run third, a Little League home run shortly before the rain delay. Garcia's going to try to score. Jankowski, the left fielder's throw to the plate, is too late. And it's a Little League home run for Luis Garcia. A two-out triple to right field where the ball was slid into by Rangers right fielder Adolis Garcia. And then the ball went toward the right field corner. And then Luis Garcia ended up scoring on a throwing error by second baseman Marcus Semien on the play. So a whole lot going wrong for the Rangers on that play. And Luis Garcia wound up with the Little League homer. Bottom of the eighth, Garcia had a two-out first pitch, opposite field single to left field. And then that defensive play, top of the fourth. Swing a ground ball toward the middle, ranging Garcia. He dives, he has it from a knee, throws to first. Manessis picks it out. What a play. For the first out, Luis Garcia on a grounder, basically up the middle, made a diving backhanded catch, actually wound up in shallow center field, and then from his right knee, while falling backward, made the throw to first base for the out. Joey Manessis made a nice pick on that throw, but that was really one of the more impressive plays by a Nationals player defensively this season. That was not easy at all, and yet Garcia got that out. We've seen more of this from him lately. Remember the play in Seattle that was fantastic on the near 6-4-2 double play they almost pulled off in that crazy game? He has looked better out there. For these young players, sometimes it is a little bit like a motivation thing and an energy thing. It's been a long first half. They haven't had days off here lately. Maybe they see the finish line of the uh, All-Star break coming up. That does something. You see C.J. Abrams playing well, so you want to pick up your game as well. He had a really nice day. Luis Garcia did. Although the Little League homer, that was the sign to me that this game needed to be halted at that point because the last thing you ever want to have happen is rain impact the actual outcome of what's happening on the field. That clearly did on two occasions. The slide in right field trying to get to the ball and then the throw, it slipped out of his hand and sailed all the way out of play. So I was a little disappointed they let the game continue a while longer after that. It was clearly affecting the game. I don't think it affected the outcome of the game. The Nats were well ahead at that point. But Garcia got a little help, I think, there from the umpires allowing the game to be still playing at that point. Five Nats each had two hits in this game. Abrams, Thomas, Manessis, Garcia, and Cole. The only two Nats really who didn't do much of anything offensively. Kbit Ruiz 0 for 4 with a strikeout. Stone Garrett 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, 
Unlike Mackenzie Gore and Capert Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nat's Chat sponsor, Mason Kalfis, and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Mason Kalfis has recruiters in six states and has placed lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red-hot antitrust, IP litigation, white-collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and health care. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years, in fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfas. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. Hey, Nat Chat. I'll be honest. I'm a fan of the theater and a fan of Disney classics. So when I heard Lion King was coming to the Kennedy Center, I went to game time to find, quote-unquote, cheap tickets for the show while it's in D.C. during the All-Star break. Fortunately, Using the promo code for Nats Chat, I didn't spend too much and got the curly W when it comes to planning date night. Game time is the fastest and easiest way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. It's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you would know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Here's the wind now on the 1-1 pitch. Swung on, bounce right side. Garcia charging in, has it. An underhanded flip to Dom Smith at first base. And bang, Zuma, curly W's in the books. It wasn't just good offense by the Nats in this 8-3 win over the Rangers on Saturday. It also was good pitching. Jake Urban in this game on Saturday was at least decent for a fifth consecutive start since having his turn in the rotation skipped. This is really becoming a nice run that Jake Irvin is on. So he on Saturday allowed two runs in five innings. But to me, you almost need to like elevate that because this included him returning to pitch after the rain delay, which was a one hour, 17 minute rain delay. It's not an easy thing to do. He gave a five hits, a homer, a double and three singles. He issued two walks. He only had one strikeout, but he threw a lot of strikes, 79 pitches, 52 strikes versus just 27 balls. It is worth noting the two runs that Urban allowed came against the first two batters he faced after the rain delay. Top of the fourth issued a leadoff walk of Adolis Garcia, who was down at 1.02. And then Irvin gave up a two-run opposite field homer by Josh Young to right center to cut the Nats' lead to 8-2. But you take a step back now. Jake Irvin has made 12 major league starts this season. First seven starts, ERA of 581. He gets his turn in the rotation skipped. These last five starts now, ERA of 3 58. He is on a nice run here. This has been very encouraging to see. He's throwing strikes, which I think is the biggest thing that he's doing and trusting that his stuff is good enough to get hitters out. When he was getting in trouble prior to that, he was not throwing strikes, walking batters, very high pitch counts, long at bats, all that kind of stuff. So he's been much better with that. And I want to give him credit for what he did in this game. 
it reminded me, it looked almost exactly like what Mackenzie Gore went through on Thursday. Now, Gore only threw 17 pitches before the rain delay, and Irvin went 40 pitches. But he did the exact same thing. He went into the bullpen, and he threw two simulated innings in there. And the fact that the tarp still hadn't come off, we were up over an hour on the delay. I'm thinking to myself, there's no way they're going to let him pitch again, same as they did with Mackenzie Gore. And then all of a sudden, you realize, no, wait, he is going to stay in this one and come back. Now, for all those asking, what was the difference? Davey Martinez said it really came right down to the wire. This delay was one hour, 17 minutes. Mackenzie Gore the other day was one hour and 43 minutes. And that difference was just enough. They were right on the edge of not allowing it any further to go. Now, in the back of his mind is Davey Martinez thinking, I burned up my whole bullpen two days ago. I don't want to have to go through this again. Maybe there's some of that. Is Davey Martinez also thinking Mackenzie Gore is potentially the future ace of this team or number two starter of this team for years to come? Jake Irvin, maybe not so much. You hope he turns out to be a good pitcher for them, but you aren't necessarily banking on that happen. Do you treat him differently because of that? Maybe subconsciously there's a little bit of that. But I give a lot of credit to Jake for what he did. And he said at the end of all that, he had done it only once before in college, anything remotely like that. He said the results were not good when he tried to do it. He said at the end of this all, he felt like he had thrown a complete game. He was exhausted. And it's not just physically, but mentally, because you have to stay mentally engaged through the entire delay. You can't just lounge in the clubhouse, kick your feet up and wait for them to tell you when the restart is. You got to keep yourself going mentally and physically. So that was a big challenge for him. All credit to him. It's not easy to do what he did in this game. No, it's not. And he did it. I do wonder too, Mackenzie Gore's injury history, if that factored into anything. When the Nats got him last year, he was dealing with left elbow inflammation. Absolutely. But Jake Irvin had Tommy John surgery a few years ago because the same thing crossed my mind as well. You know, not all pitchers are created equal. Not all pitchers are treated equally though. Yeah, well, but Gore, I guess you would say, well, Gore's injury is more recent, right? Yeah, by a year, but not as severe. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to say. I, you know, with Irvin, I think what you love is this. He is making his claim as a factor in the rotation moving forward. And there's been so little of this with the Nats for years now. Jake Irvin was a fourth-round pick in the 2018 draft out of the University of Oklahoma. When the Nats recalled him from AAA Rochester on May 3rd, he was only the team's number 20 prospect per MLB pipeline. What he's doing here, and look, it's five starts, I get that, but showing improvement, staying healthy, doing something like what he did on Saturday, returning after a one-hour-plus rain delay, he's maybe changing the conversation about where he is in this organization, what he could be for this team. I mean, you think about this rebuild. If this rebuild is going to really work, it can't just be a bunch of first round picks who work out. Like you're going to need some non-first rounders to come through. You're going to need some diamonds in the rough to come through. And so maybe a Jake Irvin can be that. It's hard to remember the last time you had something like this, a starting pitcher in the Nats organization, a non-first round pick who sort of fought his way and staked his claim into being a factor moving forward. We'll see if Jake Irvin does that. But I don't think it's crazy to wonder if he is doing that right now with what we're seeing here. It's hard to think of very many first-round pitchers who have done that for them, if we're going to be honest here, over the last several years. So yeah, you need things like this to happen. An organizational success story is wonderful for them, if not just for him on a personal level. Let's see more of it. But he has, I think, really exceeded what they thought he might be, so much so that there really isn't any talk now of oh, well, who else can we call up? Or is he on thin ice? Or oh, this could be his last start if he doesn't pitch well. No, he's earned the right to stay in this rotation moving forward. 
And I don't know that's something any of us saw coming back in April when he was first called up. Matt's bullpen on Saturday, for the most part, was good. Uh, one run in four innings from three relievers. Jordan Weems did allow a run in two innings in the top of the six. Actually, on the very first pitch that he threw in this appearance, did give up a homer, a leadoff homer by Josh Young to left field to cut the Nats' lead to 8-3. But Kyle Finnegan, perfect top of the eighth with two swinging strikeouts. And Amos Willingham got the call to close the game out. He tossed a perfect top of the ninth. We are seeing Willingham be utilized in almost like this secondary closers role. Not that he's the number two reliever in this bullpen, but we've seen him throw in the super late innings of some games here lately. We have, I will say that as that inning was starting, I had one eye on the bullpen to see at what point Hunter Harvey was going to start warming up because I was convinced that the leash would have been extremely short on Willingham. Thankfully, one, two, three inning, it never happened. But if anybody got on base, I was very curious to see how far David would let it go before he had his closer warming up. Thankfully, was not necessary. Now Harvey should be good to go on Sunday if they find themselves in a position to win a game. All right. So Sunday night is the night. Number two overall pick for the Nats. We have talked about this for months. I think at this point, if you're a Nats fan and you've been following this, you are well researched on this. You have heard and read a ton on this. It would seem to be down to one of three people who the Nats will be taking, LSU starting pitcher Paul Skeens, LSU outfielder Dylan Cruz, or Florida outfielder Wyatt Langford. I suppose there could be a stunner, but it would certainly seem like the betting favorites are among those three guys, and maybe even those two guys if you take out Langford. Here's an angle that we have not yet explored. Dylan Cruz's agent is Scott Boris. Paul Skeens' agent is not Scott Boris. If, in fact, the Pittsburgh Pirates take neither Skeens nor Cruz with that number one overall pick, do you think the Boris factor is a factor in the Nationals' decision in who to take? I honestly don't. I think the Nationals, and I think this is something that is actually to their credit, over the years, they've been pretty good about taking whoever they believe is the best available player on their personal draft board. Now, they haven't always made the right choice, by baseball decisions. But I don't think they've really ever been in a spot here, not in the last decade or so, where they made a decision based on the money aspect of it or the agent aspect of it. If anything, they're maybe guilty of drafting too many Scott Boris clients over the years, and that's come back to haunt them at times. I think it's going to be a baseball decision if it comes down to that. And I do believe it's Skeens or Cruz. I guess it's possible Lankford could sneak in there, but I think it's probably safe to say it's one of the LSU players, and it all depends on what the Pirates do. But I think as they finalize their draft board, they're going to say, here's who we prefer of those three, and specifically between the two LSU guys. And if that player is available to them, when their turn comes, they're going to take him no matter what. Now, maybe the approach down the road is a little different. Maybe you understand that the odds of locking up a player represented by Scott Boris to a long-term deal before he becomes a free agent is pretty slim. And so you say, we're just going to get whatever we can out of this player over the six years that we have. And we hope we win with him and not worry too much about the future of that. If they draft Skeens and he's good, maybe they try to approach him with an extension at some point, but maybe they're also scared off by what's happened with Strasburg and so many other pitchers across baseball. And they say, same thing. Let's give him six years, get everything we can out of him, try to win as much as we can with him, and then move on. That's a conversation for down the road. But I think when the time comes on Sunday night, they're going to take whichever player they believe is best based only on his baseball performance and his potential 
for future impact, not based on who his agent is or how much money he's going to cost. And that is the right way to do it. You shouldn't get caught up in the agent thing. You know, a player can always change his agent too. So like just because Cruz has Boris now doesn't mean Cruz will still have Boris, you know, three or four years from now. I will say though, I think a lot of people wouldn't mind the Nats taking someone who is not represented by Boris. I think there is major Scott Boris fatigue. I mean, I, I know I have it and I'm sure a lot of people listening have it. You're over it. You're tired of hearing from him. <laughs> You're tired of having to think about him with these Nats players. Look, he's excellent at his job. And th- there may be no one in baseball who's better at his job than Scott Boris is at his job. So he does his job really well, but that's to the detriment of so many teams and obviously has been an issue with the Nats. So gut feel, who do you think the Nats prefer, Cruz or Skeens? I mean, this is one of... I think the more compelling, interesting discussions for Nationals fans in a long time. You can make a really good case for either guy. I don't know that there's a wrong answer. There's information we don't have. Like, we don't necessarily know about the makeup of each guy, the attitude of each guy. We don't know about, like, the biomechanics of Paul Skeens with the Nats internally maybe seeing him. You know, is he a Tommy John surgery waiting to happen? Is he maybe not? But what do you think? Who do you think the Nats prefer? I think it's fascinating. You know, as a reporter, part of me wants to see the Pirates go off the board so that the Nationals are confronted with making this decision. I mean, internally, they have to make a decision because they have to rank them on their own board. But if the Pirates take one of the two, all the pressure's off the Nats. They can just say, well, yeah, we took the next available player. You know, we didn't really have a choice in the end. If the Pirates go with Langford or one of the high school kids, now the Nationals have to publicly declare which of those two they believe is the better player. And we're going to spend the next decade comparing those two careers and ultimately decide if they made the right choice or not. So as a reporter, I kind of find that part of it fascinating, but I can understand why a lot of people would rather the decision be made for them by Pittsburgh. If it does come to it, I think they lean towards Skeens. I think we know the history. We know how Mike Rizzo values pitching. We know that Skeens is being treated as and referred as this kind of once-in-a-generation type of pitching talent, best since Strasburg, best since Mark Pryor, those type of guys. Dylan Cruz is probably a safer bet. He's going to be a really good player probably for a long time. He may play center field for a long time. The guy draws more walks than strikeouts. He hits for power. It kind of sounds to me like a almost like an Anthony Rendon who plays center field. I mean, wouldn't you love to have a guy like that? And boy, couldn't a hitter like that help this franchise out that has so much trouble scoring runs? So yes, you can't go wrong with that one. But I think if it really comes down to it, there's probably a feeling in that room that it is much harder to get yourself a top line starting pitcher than it is to get yourself a top bat. And we know how much Mike Rizzo believes that the key to winning championships is elite starting pitching. Whether you agree with that or not in the year 2023, I still think that is the organizational philosophy here. So if it came down to it, my hunch is that they would go Skeens, but I'm not going to say I'm 100% confident of that. They could go the other way. Yeah, I think you're right. If I had to bet money on what the Nationals would lean to do, it feels like Skeens would be that guy. I would just point this out, and this has gotten a lot of attention here lately. Baseball America senior writer Kyle Glazer this past Tuesday morning came out with a piece assessing how every major league team has done at drafting hitters from the 2012 through the 2022 MLB drafts. And the reason you start with 2012 is that it was in that year that uh, MLB adopted the strict bonus pools. 
This piece by Glazer ended up being a big-time indictment of the Nats. Consider this, quote, since 2012, the Nationals have not drafted any hitter who has reached 10 career home runs. Andrew Stevenson with eight, Carter Keboom with eight, and Sheldon Noisy with seven are the only Nationals draftees who have topped five home runs. End quote. The piece also included this, quote, the Nationals' inability to find power is most notable. The Nationals draftees from 2012 to the present have produced 37 total home runs. Every other team has more than 100 home runs, and there are numerous players in the study who've exceeded the Nationals' grand total during just one season. End quote. The focus on the failures in drafting and player development, that focus tends to be on pitching. But you could argue, actually, it's been position players in which the Nats have struggled more with drafting and player development. I mean, it's kind of six in one, half dozen in the other. But man, when I read that, that is such a sobering reality. The gap between the Nats and everyone else over a decade plus of drafting, this is not a small sample size. So, you know, I don't know what Mike Rizzo was thinking. I tend to think you're right that Paul Skeens would be the pick. But boy, given that reality... (laughs) Shouldn't it be Dylan Cruz who the Nats are looking at and thinking about and saying to themselves, boy, we need to get our hands on a big time bat, you know, and kind of figure out the pitching later. I wonder if that is at all in their thinking with this draft. I can understand why the question be raised. And yeah, the the facts speak for themselves of how much they have struggled in that regard. Part of it also is that they just haven't drafted that many hitters in the first rounds. What Carter Keboom and then more recently Brady House and Elijah Green Almost every other pick I think they've had, first round pick, has been a pitcher. But this is speaks to a larger point, and you kind of alluded to it earlier, and I want to make this point as well. We're going to focus on that number two overall pick, and of course, that's a huge deal. That's a potential franchise-altering player. But you know what they also need to really do well over the next few days? They need to draft well in the second round, in the third round, in the fourth round, and beyond. You mentioned Jake Irvin, fourth round pick, blossoming now, maybe into a big league starter. There hasn't been nearly enough of that kind of stuff. They've got to do a better job of finding good quality big leaguers, not stars, but just good quality big leaguers in the other rounds. So whether they take Cruz or Skeens, number two overall, I'm really interested to see who they take number 40 overall and what becomes of that player. They've got to do a better job of that. All the hitters with all the home runs over the last decade that Kyle Glazer mentions in that really well-written article, they aren't all first-round picks. Many of them come later on. You've got to be able to have depth. That's the only way to do it. It can't just be about the first round. Yeah. And the lack of success beyond first-round picks is why, you know, the excuse-making of, well, we've had lower first-round picks or, well, you know, we signed some free agents, so we lost some picks or, you know, whatever other excuses you want to come up with. All of those excuses to me are invalid. You know, we traded away some prospects in a, in a trade with the Oakland A's in 2017. And people still point to that as like, oh, well, that's why the farm system was not in good shape. Like, no, don't accept the excuses. And that's have done a bad job in drafting and player development. Hopefully it's getting better. And uh, hopefully the getting better continues with what's about to happen in this 2023 MLB draft. Well, we're looking forward to talking about whatever it is that the Nats end up doing on Sunday night with you on the next installment of the podcast. Until then, you tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show, Nats Chat Podcast 
at gmail.com. You can find us online too via our new website, natschatpodcast.com, at which you can contact the show, listen to previous shows in their entirety, and get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the music of the Nats Chat Podcast. Check out his site, timnewmark.com. Nats Chat is on the radio Sunday mornings, 11 to 12 on ESPN Richmond, which is 106.1 FM in the uh, Richmond, Virginia area and ESPNRichmond.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. Thank you for listening. Uh, we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Here's the set of the one-two to Manessas. Swing and a line drive toward the left field line. That's a base hit. That's going to roll all the way to the left field corner. Thomas around third, coasting in to score. And coasting into second base with a double. His second run batted in the game and 45th of the year is Joey Manessis. Three runs home for the Nats here in the bottom of the second inning. It's now Washington 7 and Texas nothing. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.